0: Have you ever seen someone in the middle of a debate decide that their arguments weren't working and everything that they've said is a total trash fire? And so they start arguing on the fly from something else. (laughs) They know that they're wrong. They know that they're really wrong. But maybe if they pull something just right out of their butt, They can uh, save the debate, save their victory, and yank it out of the jaws of defeat. Most of the time when somebody does something like that, uh, it's just wrong. They still lose. (laughs) That's what we're getting into today with our continuation of reading and evaluating the DeMond brothers, where we take a look at the uh, small book, large pamphlet, whatever you want to call it. It's entitled, The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church. Now, if that were the case, if the Bible really did prove the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, in theory, a Roman Catholic shouldn't have much of a problem with the position of Protestants that is sola scriptura. After all, they've been working over time and bending themselves backwards to mangle and lie about what the scriptures teach in order to present it as something that just shows you all doctrines that come out of Rome. (laughs) Even when they cite tradition, they pretend it's coming from the Bible. But here we're going to get into their uh, section in their book entitled, The Bible does not teach sola scriptura, scripture alone. And of course, they cite 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And they're going to, of course, leave out the fact that that epistle, 2 Thessalonians, was written before the completion of the canon, when it was legit to just do what the apostle says, right? and to hold fast to said traditions that they had encompassed. I have no problem saying that, yep, this verse is inspired. In its circumstances, it is valid. If you're a first-century Christian, listening to St. Paul's epistle, Second Thessalonians, being read out loud in your congregation, then when St. Paul visited a couple months ago and told you to quit arguing with each other or something, you should obey what St. Paul said. They're not going to go in that direction, and I don't expect them to be honest. But maybe we should give them a fair shake. (laughs) Maybe. According to Protestants, the Bible teaches that Scripture, the written word of God, is the only rule of faith for a Christian, along with justification by faith alone. Scripture alone was one of the central tenets of the Protestant quote-unquote reformation. However, the truth is that the Bible does not teach that Scripture is the only rule of faith for a Christian we will see that the Bible teaches that both scripture and apostolic tradition are sources of Christ's revelation, and that one must accept both of them along with the church. Really, so, before we get into what they write and their so-called defense of that, I got a question for any Roman Catholic listeners. I know you've heard people like Jay Dyer bring up Pope Honorius before. Pope Honorius was declared a heretic and posthumously anathematized because he was a monothelite. I won't bore people with the definitions of monothelitism and why it is wrong, but he was declared to have been burning in hell since he was dead. Ever since he died. Just burning in hell. Don't, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. You're out, pal. So a question for our Roman Catholic audience, and especially for the DeMond brothers, during Pope Honorius's reign, what he said was part of what the magisterium said. Was that the word of God? Well, was it? And were you required, if you were living during Pope Honorius's reign in the chair of St. Peter, were you required to believe what he taught people concerning monothelitism? Now, for the Demond brothers, that's an easy one. Because they only accept the capital T tradition that they like, and then they reject the capital T tradition that they don't like. They pick and choose which one so that they can stay set of a contest. But if you're going to say that the quote-unquote tradition of the elders and the church fathers and the councils and the decretals and the papal bulls and all of that stuff is of equal force and weight to Scripture, it does not answer to the word of god then my question is do you have to follow those who taught falsely within the magisterium whose writings are part of capital t tradition and if they were accepted as capital t tradition for a time was it right or wrong for people to agree with them origen comes to mind with his goofy false teachings honorius comes to mind with His goofy false teachings. Tertullian going off into Montanism and teaching people to be Montanists. He had a position of authority in the church. Was it binding on the laity to follow them into damnable heresy or to dangerous heterodoxy? I would say no, because I'm a Sola Scriptura guy. If somebody teaches something that contradicts the scripture, I don't have to believe it. The DeMond brothers are going to say that you do, except for the things that they're going to tell you to ignore, you see. Very simple. But we keep going. Jesus says that one must hear the church, which he never would have said if the Bible taught scripture alone. If the Bible is the only rule of faith for a Christian, then logically the church would not be a rule of faith for a Christian. However, the Bible clearly teaches that one must hear the church. Matthew 18, verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Ah, wow. They took that verse out of context to claim that you should listen to the doctrinal content of just any teacher whatsoever, right? Uh, Matthew eighteen seventeen is in the context of conflict resolution in the church. When somebody has sinned against you, you go to them personally, then you bring a witness, and then you bring it to the church, assuming they are part of the church, right? That's not about a magisterium in the Roman Catholic Church. But they also cite Luke 10:16: He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Again, not talking about the establishment of an infallible magisterium or capital T tradition in the church. This verse is in context from Luke 10 about the sending out of the 72. Is it binding on all people in the church when Jesus says, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And of a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. If the Roman Catholic Magisterium, and if capital T tradition was marked by 100% of these men doing exactly what Christ told the 72 to do, maybe these guys would have a case. If a church father comes into my house and just heals everybody that's sick, Right? And if he says, peace be unto this house, and suddenly all my anxieties are just gone, miraculously, sure, the Demond brothers would have a point regarding applying this verse to the magisterium. But it's not about a magisterium, so they don't have a point. The teaching of Jesus, that one must hear the church under pain of being considered a heathen, refutes the entire idea of scripture alone. No. That verse that you cited, Matthew 18, 17, doesn't refute sola scriptura. It teaches that if the church excommunicates you for being an impenitent sinner, then that excommunication is binding because there is such a thing as the power of the keys. That does not refute sola scriptura. That tells the church to do something according to the words of Christ. John 15, 20, they cite, If they have kept my saying they will keep yours also and of course because they love to take things out of context they cite John 15 verse 20. Let's turn to John fifteen twenty and read the whole verse because the Demond brothers can't be bothered to put the whole verse in a book called the Bible proves the teachings of the Catholic Church oh no see if they did that maybe maybe they would have a case But they don't, because the other part that they neglected to bring into this uh, book of theirs, John chapter 15, verse 20, here's the whole verse. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Is Jesus right there establishing a teaching magisterium for the entirety of the church, particularly the Roman Catholic Church? No, he is not. He's not. He's talking about how the world treats Jesus. And how that is going to translate to how the world treats believers and especially the apostles to whom he is speaking in this moment. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Why? Because he starts, remember the word that I said to you in the very beginning of the verse. The Demon brothers know that they are deceptively editing their book to keep you from actually coming to the conclusions that the verses provide. They want you to misinterpret scripture so they can deny sola scriptura. And they also cite here, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch over your souls. Dot, dot, dot. Now while I'm turning there, I have to ask, does Hebrews 13, verse 17 apply to Pope Honorius? Does it apply to the people that Origen taught? Do all those people on pain of damnation under origin during that time, do all of them have the requirement that they believe in his weird eternal merry-go-round and his belief that the devil would one day be saved and go to heaven? The answer to that is no, by the way. <laughs> but here's the entire verse because the DeMont brothers don't like putting entire verses and they don't like talking about context. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is Hebrews 13:17. For they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Hmm, I wonder by what standard the leaders to whom you should submit will be judged. And to what standard should you judge them? Maybe the infallible word of God? Tell me, what standard? Do you have for first century leaders of the church, Hebrews being written in the first century, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account? To what standard are they giving account? That would be the word of God, meaning your leaders have to submit to the word of God. If they are not doing that, they are not rightly leading you. Don't obey. Their teachings, if they contradict Holy Scripture. Now, they do get into uh, an interesting verse here, 1 Timothy 3.15, when they say, The Bible teaches that the church, not the Bible, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know that thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth as one former Protestant minister, who eventually saw the falsity of Protestantism, put it. If I were writing that verse as a Protestant, I would have said that the Bible, not the Church, is the pillar and ground of the truth. But St. Paul says it's the Church. This means that the Church must be every bit as infallible as the Bible, and that it must present something unique by way of presenting the truth of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Who is the truth who says that uh, he is the truth that would be Jesus first Timothy 3:15 which says the pillar and ground of the truth the church of the living God cannot be taken out of the context of understanding that Jesus Christ says I am the way truth and the life no man cometh to the Father except by me John 14 verse 6 Christ walks, among his church, who is being built up as his house, a living house. That's from 1 Peter chapter 2. It is not saying that the particular institution known as the Roman Catholic Church is infallible in its teachings. If that were the case, oh my gosh, would we have to believe in some contradictory things. This particular verse is saying Christ dwells among his believers, who like living stones, like pillars, build up his house. But they continue. The unique role of the church is that it sets forth the true meaning of scripture and tradition in precise terms and dogmas, something the Bible was not intended to do in all of its passages. Moreover, if the church is infallible and the pillar of truth, there must obviously be a way of recognizing its infallible teaching by means of a continued succession of authority which would safeguard the truth and exercise its authority. Did that apply to heretical popes? They don't think that this applies, by the way, to today's Pope, Pope Francis. They really don't. So they don't believe this. They just want you to believe it so that you join their cult. Because, I mean, obviously the pillar and bulwark of the truth uh, ordained popes and selected popes that they don't like and they think are anti-popes. And this pillar and bulwark of the truth selected a bunch of false popes during the Avignon Papacy and the period in which there were... Three popes. Hmm, so you tell me, how infallible is this pillar and bulwark of the truth that can't get its succession right, Mr. Demond? And why would you say that it lays out precise terms and dogmas when it absolutely stinking does not? If I go out and ask any Roman Catholic on the street today, how do you get to heaven? How do you go to heaven when you die? Most of them will not give me the same answer. They will not give me a precise term or dogma for it. Maybe some of them are devoted and they go to RCIA, but they will still argue amongst themselves, especially if one of them is a set of a contest like yourself, Mr. DeMond. (laughs) They're not going to agree with Lumen Gentium. They're not going to agree with anonymous Christians. They're not going to agree with Feenism. Phineasism, uh, by the way, guys, is the Demond Brothers' belief that unless you are baptized into the Roman Catholic Church, you are going to hell. You cannot be saved, according to them, unless you are baptized in the Roman Catholic Church. They hold the phrase "extra ecclesiam nulla salus" outside of the church, there is no salvation, to such a stringent degree that they believe everybody that doesn't uh, get baptized into rome is damned and the jury's still out on whether every single roman catholic that is not a set of a contest like themselves is also damned so they're just lying to you they're painting a rosy picture of the church that they themselves do not believe and do not hold to because they don't accept the papacy and they don't accept that the church is the pillar and bulwark of the truth they don't accept the idea that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church according to some infallibility rule because they think that the Roman Catholic Church as it stands today, the Novus Ordo Church, is apostate. Don't give me a standard that you yourself are not willing to follow, Peter. If you can't do it, if you disagree with it by the nature of your tiny little micro denomination, I'm not going to feel bound to following it. Simple as. But they continue on. The Bible teaches that the spoken word is the word of God in addition to the written word. A common misconception among Protestants is that the quote unquote word of God refers exclusively to the Bible. The truth is that the Bible repeatedly calls the oral spoken tradition the word of God. Jesus Christ himself is also called the Word of God in John 1 and Hebrews 11:3. 3. By describing the oral tradition as the Word of God, the Bible is indicating that the apostolic oral tradition is infallible and in that it represents, along with Scripture, one of the sources of Jesus Christ's revelation which must be accepted. So why don't you follow the Talmud, buddy? because that's supposedly oral tradition dating back to Moses, right? Uh, do you guys follow the Talmud? That's oral tradition, buddy. Go go ahead and listen to it. <laughs> and of course, they're going to talk about this like you got to you got to follow the infallible apostolic oral tradition, which of course is going to be written down somewhere, right? Cuz they're not going to tell you this pope said this once and we don't have a written record of it anywhere. So, question for the DeMond brothers, does your communion rite follow the exact communion rite given to you in the DDK, which supposedly, according to the people that wrote it, is a document of apostolic tradition? If not, why are you not following the tradition of the apostles? if indeed the didache was written by the apostles, which you should accept because a whole bunch of church fathers and other people in the magisterium agreed to. Why isn't your communion right the same, buddy? But, of course, they're going to bring in a couple Bible verses which they're going to claim apply to the gigantic body of literature that is Roman Catholic, capital T, tradition, and it does not. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Why, yes, the apostles, namely St. Paul here, brought the word of God and preached it to them. Maybe even reading it out of a book, um, maybe a scroll. Maybe it was the, was it the Bible? <laughs> and maybe being inspired apostles, given a special dispensation by the Holy Spirit, they were able to preach the word of God to these people, much in the same way as the prophetic office worked back then. Hmm. Now they also bring up Colossians 1, 5, and 6. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven... Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. I don't see the establishment of an infallible Roman Catholic, capital T, tradition here. It's just not there. (laughs) The spoken word is described as the word of truth and the gospel. The reference to the word having come into the whole world confirms that this passage is referring to the spoken word and not the Bible, for this could not have been said of the Bible at the time. Um, okay, yeah, I can, I can agree that in the first century that that was the case. Things change, bro. Did you not read the end of Revelation that tells you not to add stuff to, to God's word? Did, did you not read that part? Skipping ahead a little bit, because they kind of just repeat the same point over and over again that they think the word spoken equals the word of God, and therefore you have to believe whatever some Roman Catholic priest is saying, even if it's like it's okay to bless gay couples now. They bring up Sorry this <laughs> Luke four verses forty-four to chapter five verse one. And he Jesus preached in the synagogues of Galilee, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Luke 3, verse 2, Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Okay, first off, if Jesus is preaching to you, that's the word of God because he is God. Dummy. Second, John the Baptist, from Luke 3, is a prophet. You know what prophets spoke? The Word of God. Is everybody in the Roman Catholic Magisterium and Apostolic Tradition, are they all prophets? Would they all tell you that they're prophets? No. No, it wouldn't, actually. <laughs> and then, at the end of this section, they bring up Acts 4.31 with zero commentary we'll get into probably why in a second and when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the Word of God with boldness hmm now why wouldn't the Demond brothers comment on their citation of acts 431 I can only speculate that if they went down that rabbit hole they'd be telling you to be a pentecostal because any tom dick or harry out there telling you i'm filled with the holy spirit and i'm speaking the word of god right now you'd have to believe them because you're a good little sheep follower of uh, the Demond brothers we only have a few more of these left before we finish up reading and evaluating the Demond brothers at some point we might get into their book on phoenix which is a riot but I want you to think about something. What do you do when your denomination abandons you? When it abandons its traditional doctrines, when it completely uh, retcons its morals, its activities are ungodly, unsightly. What it supports is not what scripture supports. It's not even what tradition supports if you're a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox. Something changed what do you do? And if you are of the same mood and temperament of the DeMond brothers, you will find yourself, unless you follow these warnings here, you will find yourself down the same path, going to such an extreme that you toss out anathemas like they're candy on Halloween going to such depths of depravity in your doctrine that you are willing to mangle the scriptures to show yourself that you had a point and to justify to people that you are so darn right. You're going to be so angry with other denominations and with other Christians that there's absolutely no way they could possibly go to heaven. You're going to deny sola fide even if you say that you believe in Sola Fide. It's a little bit of a spoiler, guys. Reading and evaluating the Demond brothers, it's not about the Demond brothers. It's about all of us that find ourselves in the same exact situation where institution after institution and denomination after denomination have gone absolutely nuts-o-bananas bonkers with their dogmas, with their activities, with their alliances, with the world, with their decisions to become worldly. Don't go the direction that the DeMond brothers are going. It is excruciatingly dangerous territory that could damn your soul. But enough of that. Next week we're going to get more into their denial of sola scriptura, which, uh, again, there are Protestants, the same temperament, of the Demand brothers that functionally deny sola scriptura even if they pretend they affirm it. A little bit more of that next week. Until then our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.